On this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we discuss the latest news, including an update on inflation and worker retention, and meet with the staff of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies to discuss the latest regulatory and industry trends. Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. We would like to thank our sponsors, Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers, Trivalence. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable data insights, and Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies the nation's leading regulatory and accreditation compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, please visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. Welcome to episode 170 of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey for October 18th, 2022, recording from our studio in Spencerport, New York. This is Sue Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. The ASC regulatory environment is extremely dynamic, and the material provided in this episode is based on information available as of the date of the recording. Joining me is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. He is recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. Mr. Gailey is the author of over 10 books on the ASC industry, and he is a frequent industry speaker on regulatory accreditation and finance issues. So I want to say happy International Infection Prevention Week this week to everybody. And just a little background, that was established in 1986 by Ronald Reagan, and it's been spearheaded by APIC. So if you want any information, resources, um, webinars, merchandise, that kind of thing, um, if you go to infectionpreventionandyou.org or just look up International Infection Prevention Week um, and you can find some good information. You know, I think it's always a good thing to, you know, kind of recognize these these events or these uh, special weeks uh, mm-hmm. in our surgery center just so that we can focus periodically on the various issues that we have to do as well as, you know, Nurses Week and mm-hmm. Sterile mm-hmm. Processing Week, I think, was last week. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's always a great thing to uh, to recognize these events. Sue, we have new microphones. I know I'm excited about it, but you... uh, (laughs) I just talked. This thing's in front of me. I don't know. (laughs) We're hoping that... Yes, we're having to upgrade a little bit, and I was trying to improve the sound and... Yeah, microphones have been a bit of a problem just because they they Mm -hmm. seem to... Mm -hmm. The the ones that we use here are a little bit more for uh, being on the road as opposed to being in the studio. So we uh, purchased these brand new mics. They are a little bit easier to control. We'll... We'll see if uh, we get any comments about how good the sound quality is. And at the same time, um, we are getting ready for next week, which is the Mm -hmm. next Director of Nursing Boot Camp. This will be the fourth Director of Nursing Boot Camp that we have done and the eighth boot camp overall. So we're very excited about uh, these boot camps. They're always a great event. It's going to be well attended. And uh, we're going to keep this up. I think – you know, we're already planning on uh, in, J- in January having mm-hmm. a um, uh, administrators boot camp. So, and in preparation for that, Sue, I've decided to replace our board yet again. I know yeah. you're very excited about that since <laughs> you really hate all those switches. There's a lot less switches in the new mm-hmm. board, but uh, it'll help us have a little bit more control over the uh, uh, the, the board that we're using here. Is actually it's it's relatively new. It's only about a year old, but it's based upon technology from the 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 80s, mm-hmm. uh, whereas mm-hmm. the, the new technology we have out there will give us a lot of capability for communicating through our, our Zoom link, which we use yeah. for the podcast and, and for the boot camp. So uh, we're, uh, we're throwing the money that we're getting from all of our wonderful patrons out there right back mm-hmm. into the business so that we can improve the quality of uh, the products that we offer to you. So and we do always want to be uh, grateful to, to all of our supporters out there. Sue, one of the things that uh, came up recently uh, is uh, we were talking about some of the services that we offered, Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, and uh, risk assessments. 
I, I was talking to a prospective client, and we mm-hmm. were talking about, of all things, uh, risk assessments. Yeah, they're often and forgotten, and there's they are. quite a few different ones that need to be done. And, and surveyors are really definitely looking for them now. So mm-hmm. I do encourage everybody to uh, keep an eye out for uh, you know the different types of uh, risk assessments that are out there. Maybe we'll do a special episode on that, but uh, mm-hmm. make sure that they're up to date. You know, the most common ones, of course, are the infection control risk assessment, mm-hmm. the NFPA 99 risk assessment, and the hazard vulnerability analysis yep. assessment. And then be sure you're using the information you get from that risk assessment to base your policies and your, um, you know, quality improvement and um, emergency programs on. Yeah, and that that really brings up a good point that I find when I go out and and do a survey is that uh, people do a great job of filling these forms out, but they Mm -hmm. don't do anything with the information on them. You know, uh, like the HVA is supposed to be used, you know, hazard vulnerability analysis is used to uh, set your policies for the next year, to set your drills for the next year. Same thing with infection control. Mm -hmm. Infection control worksheet will will dictate what your educational programs are going to be for the next year, as well as the surveillance activities that you're going to do. So... uh, Definitely something you need to keep a close eye on. Yep, and updating every year. I mean, in yeah. four years ago, how many places had pandemic as a really high risk for their center? And, you know, that all changed. It's That's not right. always that That's dramatic. Right. But it can just it change with your, you know, with, with your patient population or almost anything. So it's, you got to always update those. So let's move on to our uh, recent news. Sue, what have we got going on with uh, monkeypox? We had to do a quick blurb about this. So the first case of an infected healthcare worker in the U.S. Um, happened this week. The, the first case where they were infected at their job at where it was um, from a contaminated needle. The person was recapping a needle after they had aspirated some fluid from a, a, a sore from a patient that was suspected of having monkeypox, and, and turned out they did, and, and the healthcare worker did um, acquire that. So obviously, people should not be recapping needles. And it surprises me in a situation like that, that you wouldn't be on such high alert that you would just be careful. But well, and again, these are standard precautions that mm-hmm. you should always be yes, taking. Absolutely. It doesn't matter whether you got a risk or anything. So mm-hmm. you're right. It's just but you like never a, know what, yeah. what there might be. And so I, I, it just made me want to look into it a little bit. The CDC said we have over 27,000 confirmed cases in the U.S., which I think I was really surprised, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, it's still not that many, but um, California and New York have the highest number of cases, but um, the highest rates by population are in Washington, D.C. is the top, um, New York, and then Georgia. And D.C. is the highest, but it's still 0.016% of the population, so it's still very low. Um, Generally, the disease lasts two to four weeks, and it has a fatality rate of 3 to 6%. Um, there are limited availability of vaccines, so I think they're trying to get more out there, but again, not really advised for the general public at right. this point. So, Sue, we actually have good news about inflation. I I'm, I'm mm-hmm. don't think it's really that great news, but we do have good news about inflation. Yep, there was some interesting information I found from the Mercer firm. For the first time in more than three decades, inflation has risen faster than health care costs. So not great news about inflation, <laughs> good news about health care costs. Yeah. Um, U.S. employers' health benefit cost per employee um, is projected to be 4.4% for 2022, while the overall inflation is running about 9%. Um, the cost increase in 2021 was about 6.3%, and the expected increase for 2023 is 5.6%. This could be higher, though, um, due in part to people, you know, maybe putting in claims for long COVID and a higher utilization for healthcare services as people are trying to catch up on their screening and, and other care that they may have postponed. Um, and they, as I was looking into that, Mercer also noted some other trends. So 84% of large employers prioritized enhancing benefits to improve attraction and retention over the category of monitoring and managing high-cost claimants. And that second category usually tops the list. So people are starting to look more at keeping their employees happy. Um, 74% said they'll be prioritizing access to behavioral health care over the next few years, including EAP services and virtual behavioral health options. The majority of respondents did not plan to increase their employees' contribution through higher co-pays or deductibles. So, again, it's kind of all about keeping employees happy right now. Right, and trying not to shift too much more of the health care mm-hmm. costs to the employees. Yep, yep. 
And along those lines, trying to looking at the uh, the workforce, what's happening there? There was a study that was conducted by Bain and Company that found a quarter of clinicians in the U.S. are considering changing careers. Eighty nine percent of them cited burnout as a reason that they may leave healthcare. Forty one percent said it was for personal health and safety, and twenty five percent said for um, family or friends' health and safety. So if you put those two together, that's almost as large a percentage as the burnout. So those are the two main categories that are really bothering people. Um, some reasons that were cited for the clinician burnout are not having the resources to perform their full to their full potential and inadequately staffed workplace. So, you know, this is it's not ca- really news, 22. but it's, yeah. yeah, and it just gets worse and yeah. worse as people leave. So then I saw... Um, the net promoter score, which is a measure of a clinician's likelihood to recommend their employer. It's kind of a you know a scale that they measure how happy they are with their employer. It was 36 points in 2020, and currently it's 19 points. Um, even worse, the clinicians at management-led practices such as hospitals and health systems only gave a score of six points, while those of physician-led practices had 40 points. So they're a lot happier, and you know, and so maybe that's good news, you know, for ASCs. And another note: the staff RN turnover rate has exceeded the overall hospital staff turnover rate for the first time. Um, although it was just barely, with the RN rate was twenty-seven percent versus the overall staff was twenty-six percent. Um, the top five areas of importance to the employees were compensation, the ability to provide patient care, workload, uh, flexibility, and they wanted more clinically focused job responsibilities. In other words, and, not doing all a, yeah, a, lot a lot of the of cleanup paperwork, and things yep, like that. Yeah, yep. and I think, you know, we've talked about this before. If you don't feel like you're able, you know, people go into healthcare to help people. Right. So if you feel like you're rushing and you're not really getting that rewarding feeling of helping people, if you feel like you're leaving your job every day not feeling like you've done your best, that's that's just draining. So that we, doesn't surprise me. And we see this a lot too, as, especially as we try to recruit nurses into leadership positions that mm-hmm. uh, they often perceive, and, and perhaps it is true, that there's a lot more paperwork involved in that. Yeah. And yep. I think uh, that that certainly is not usually going to give a very good job satisfaction to an individual who really wants to take care mm-hmm. of patients, even at a leadership level. Uh, which is why companies like Ambitory Healthcare Strategies yeah. exist. You know, we're trying to take that pressure off of of uh, of the the clinicians, and that and that really just gets down to the point too. Is that as we have fewer and fewer clinicians out there, this yeah. workforce gets tighter. Finding alternative ways of pushing yeah. some of that administrative functions mm-hmm. onto other individuals is going to mm-hmm. be even more important. Yeah, and they actually did have some good ideas. I didn't, I just felt like this was getting kind of long, so I didn't put a lot of that in here. But if you look up, um, it's a treatment for America's healthcare worker burnout by Bain and company. And we'll put a link And they had quite a bit in there, like what you said, you know, more administrative staff doing more of that stuff, freeing up the clinicians and just ways of helping people to feel like a little more rewarded with their job. Um, and then kind of in the same vein, Becker's Hospital Report, I know it's hospitals, but I'm sure it's pretty much across the board, from October 13th also mentioned um, the 27% turnover rate for hospital RNs, and it gave a little bit of data on the cost of this turnover. So the average cost of a staff RN turnover is $46,000, um, you know, involving all the training and all that kind of thing to, loss, to get yeah, somebody and down, finding new downtime, people, cetera, all yeah. of that. Um, and each, it's going to be higher in a hospital than it would in a yeah, surgery center, definitely. but it's still a pretty significant number. Yeah. Each percent change in turnover can save or cost a hospital over um, $426,000 a year. And if a hospital can eliminate 20 travel RNs, they can save over $4 million. So, Wow. Very incentivized to do that, I'm sure. And then this is something that Lori had brought up that she'd heard of. Um, I found it in the British Journal of Ophthalmology when I went to look for it. Cases of post-vitrectomy endophthalmitis have increased since the COVID, they phrase it, the COVID mask wearing period of time. So as long as people have been wearing masks. The study noted the increase was significant, but um, I'm not a mathematician, but the increase was from 0.11% to 0.21%. So it didn't seem huge, but it's something, well, it's um, you know, to be aware of. Yeah. 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 It's just a low rate, but it is a doubling of it. However, in the mask wearing period, some cases of oral bacteria were noted in the eye cultures and those had not been noted before. So they're saying, you know, because you're breathing in that air from yeah. breathing from your mouth is going up by your eyes, that a different type of bacteria is getting in there. So it's something to really be aware of and making sure you're 
ready to treat that. Well, and I think it's also the design of these masks, Mm -hmm. too, you know, might be something we're going to have to look into if... Yeah, if you had an N95, then it probably wouldn't be happening. But they're talking, you know, the patients are just coming in with the regular masks. Especially if they have cloth masks or Mm -hmm. other things. Now, it wasn't noted in cataract surgery, which is interesting. Um, It's just supposed to vitrectomy where they notice the increase. And uh, let's just talk about some recent experiences. Some of these come from our uh, our own experiences in the industry as well as some um, situations that uh, are brought up to us in our Saturday drop-in sessions for our patron members. Uh, and one of our members met, noted and uh, another person said the same thing, that they had received a notice from NHSN that they had not submitted their data from 2020 mm-hmm. for the uh, the COVID-19 vaccine. But and of they course, looked and it was in there. I mean, so they yeah. had. So, it was just so we're not thing. quite sure what had happened there um, because the, all the, in both of these cases, the data had been submitted. So uh, if you uh, get this notice and you know that you submitted the data also, um, recognize that you're not alone and, and just contact mm-hmm. NHSN to uh, double check to make sure that that data is there. Yeah, and we'll let you know if we hear something on this Saturdays that that it was resolved or if they got, you know, another notice saying that it was a mistake. Right. We'll follow up. So, Sue, during the uh, New York State Association meeting in Terrytown Mm -hmm. uh, in September, uh, we had 12 of our employees all together at one time, which is very rare to have them Mm -hmm. all in the same spot. So, of course, as is our way, we took them, uh, shoved them into the little mini studio that we had created at the conference uh, and set them down down to talk. Isn't it always funny how they all sit down and they're kind of like, "Eh, we really don't have anything to say. You know, I'm I'm, I'm shy. Yeah. And then they lose control. And they lose control. I had to edit that. And there was a whole (laughs) lot of laughing in some areas. It just had to be cut out. <laughs> it was uh, it was a lot of fun, though. But you know, we we always find it interesting to get together and talk about things, and just getting a a little bit of. I I think I, I don't know. I hope our listeners enjoyed as much as we enjoyed recording <laughs> it. Uh, but there's just so many things that are going on in the industry, and when you have twelve people in the same room, there's just a lot of brainstorming going mm-hmm. on. So, uh, and even some of our newer employees uh, yeah. were there and able to join in. So. Uh, We're going to take a short break, and we'll come back and have that interview that was recorded during the September fall conference for the New York State Association of Amatory Surgery Centers. It's been a long day, and the surveyor has just left, and you are exhausted and looking at the list of items that you have to address. You wonder, how can I deal with this and still take care of my patients? More importantly, you wonder, how can I ever keep up with all the regulations, standards, and accreditation requirements? How can I always be prepared for a survey and reduce my stress levels? Well, that's what Ambitory Healthcare Strategies does, day in, day out. We become your outsourced regulatory and accreditation resource. We can maintain your policy manual, develop your education programs, help out with fire and disaster drills, do your risk assessments, oversee your quality improvement activities, help run your quality improvement meetings and governing body meetings, and we can even prepare your monthly or quarterly financial statements and help you figure out where you are financially. We are a retainer-based service. We don't take ownership. We don't charge based on your revenue. We have one fixed monthly fee, and we can tailor your services to your exact needs. So whether you're looking for help getting over a survey, preparing for a survey, or looking for a long-term relationship to assist you with your ongoing regulatory and or financial needs, please give us a call at 585-594-1167 or email us at info at ahstrategies.com. That is info at ah-strategies.com or visit our website at ah-strategies.com. So uh, we are all together again, uh, as we were last all together at the ASCA 2022 conference. We're here at the New York State Association Annual Conference uh, in Terrytown, New York. It is September of uh, 2022, and I have with me uh, my wonderful staff. Uh, we have a huge presence at this conference. Twelve employees are here at the conference representing approximately 10% of the attendees, by the way. And we also have a client member, Ellen. We're not going to use her last name for... Uh, uh, for, for reasons that might be apparent a little bit later on, right, Alan? Uh, but welcome also, Alan, and, and one of our loyal listeners here. So as we often do when we get together um, 
you know, for these conferences is just kind of go around and talk a little bit about, uh, you know, some of the things that are going on. And um, we're going to do things a little bit differently. I'm just going to kind of point to people and just randomly ask them questions. So just to kind of, uh, well, uh, don't worry, I'll be pointing. Actually, Donna, I'm going to start with you, and I'm sorry to do this. Uh, so Donna Macchio joined us about four or five weeks ago. She was uh, with one of our clients. She's a senior nurse consultant. She has been shadowing me for a couple weeks. She is picking up on things very quickly and, and learning the ropes, which is not a big problem since she's been doing this for for a while. 21 years. Okay. There, see, she said it. I cannot say anything. She years. has so. said it. Since I was 12. There you go. That's right. That's right. And we won't, not that she has grandchildren, and we won't talk about how that happened either. But So, Donna, um, you know, uh, it's interesting. What has been the toughest transition from being a client to uh, to actually working for multiple clients here? Um, the toughest transition for me is that running my own center, making my own making my own decisions every day. Um, I just would be presented with an issue, make the decision, and and then I just owned it, right? So if I if I made the wrong decision or if I had to revise the decision, I could just do that and work through that with my own center. Um, being involved with other clients on behalf of this company is a little more difficult because I want to make sure I don't want to give the wrong information. I don't want to make the wrong decision and have to go back and say, oh, by the way, what I said was this, but what we really should be saying is this. But honestly, for me, um, the best thing is that everybody here has been so helpful. I can just say, hey, this is what I think. You know, am I on the right page? And I get an answer like immediately. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's good. The last thing I want to do is give somebody who's reaching out for help I don't want to steer them in the wrong direction, right? Because that's you know that's not what we're here for. We want to. Well, and for those that are not aware of this, because of the resources available and the technology that we have available in our company, I'm actually going to look at Alex for a second here. Uh, Alex is the director of operations, but we we have the technology to be able to if a, if somebody has a question uh, to type it into our system. We're using a, a pretty standard program, but it is uh, encrypted. Uh, that allows us to ask a question and then you know get an answer pretty quickly. Ta Alex, talk about the technology, and since you uh, help to administer that system, how important you think it is uh, to uh, as director of operations to, to to keeping this operation running smoothly? Yeah, I think it, it's pretty critical, and we we tried a few programs before this one, and they didn't seem to work well. And one of the reasons for that was accessibility. You know, just all of the other programs. They either wouldn't alert you like you want them to, or they just didn't work in all the platforms. Didn't work in all the yeah. platforms that we're using, or you have to go jump through hoops to even get to them. So this one's been phenomenal, um, and I think an underrated part of it too is the morale boost. Yes, you know the ability to kind of play with it, have fun. You know we we have a few different. Um, you know, secret chat rooms for the different levels. Just There's discovered not so the secret. Yeah. <laughs> just discovered the uh, the granddaughter uh, channel where you know pictures of grandchildren <laughs> show up. So, yeah. That's my favorite one. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, but but you're right, and I think that's a, a morale booster, and it keeps things off of our text messages, which we already know. The nice thing about this type of system is accessible to anybody and just email me I don't want to mention it to everybody here but if you want to have some more information about how we do that with that technology what's nice is as Alex said there's multiple channels which means like there's a channel for our, our for surveyors on our team you know that we can talk privately there's life safety one there's a finance one there's the all one which seems to be where most of the occurrences occur and there's the super secret awesome. and then there's the super yeah. secret <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, the all one, we get a question and for an hour we all hear the ding, 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 ding. ding. Yeah. But it's, yeah, a lots of sound, answers, though. it's a yep. different sound than your email, and yeah. it's a different sound than your text message. So when I get that sound, I know it's you know yeah. Yeah. that needs something, yeah. usually. So then you go to answer it, and it's a picture of a grandchild, and you go, well, thank yeah. you so much. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I guess I need to learn that section because I haven't figured out what Or a dog. Yeah. There's a lot a of yeah. Yeah. But if you have a question, if you're on site. Lots of responses, lots of responses. If you're on site with a client, you get to feel that you're not there by yourself mm -hmm. yeah. because within yes. like literally seconds you will get an answer because I'm like I have absolutely no life safety I'm always reaching out does anybody know this or and I haven't seen before because I have probably the least amount of clinical experience you guys are like right like right there so it really gives you that feeling of not mm -hmm. being on site by yourself right yeah. right we're part of a 
family. It's a family. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were at, on your survey recently, uh, I was at yeah. home working and working, and you pop, your question popped up, and I read it, and it was boom, 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 and I thought, oh, I love this, this camaraderie, this teamwork, you're not alone. It, and, and later in the evening when I was having dinner, I said to my husband, this is great, because within Seconds, seconds, you had answers, and within I don't know, maybe twenty minutes, you had a policy. I thought yeah, I love this. It was it's, done. This is yeah. great. It was really awesome. Yeah. Very impressive. Very impressive. I, I agree with that. Yeah. Too. Anything. Ever. So this yeah. is Mario Day. We probably should introduce ourselves before we oh, talk. Yeah. Mario is one of our consultants yeah. here. Works on some of our uh, data yeah. and data entry. But yeah, I get you. Steve's been very. I, I, everybody has been very good about getting back to me. Whenever I have a question or a yep. need, and uh, making sure that things are followed up, everybody works together very well. Yeah, and asking for work because often Mary, if she's got some free time, she'll just type in there, "Hey, you got any work for me?" And you know, so it's just a really great way of communicating, and, and everybody's everybody wants to, you know, pull their pull their all hands on deck all the time. I do want to lean into this uh, this issue actually of this recent survey because the, uh, the the poor victim of this survey. Uh, is is here with us. So the background of this is that I was intending to uh, show up on Monday and Tuesday for a scheduled accreditation survey, and then on Wednesday of the day before, uh, the week before that survey, we get a phone call from one of our clients um, who said, "You're not going to believe this. Six people just showed up from the Department of Health. Six. Six people showed up. <laughs> repeat for the. That's right. Repeat that again six, uh, from six. the Department of Health." For a survey, uh, Ellen, you were the victim. I, I don't know if you're close enough to a mic to be able to uh, she to talk. But you, you know, but you know, and it's and, and thank you so much for joining us. I know this is a lot to ask of uh, of a client to uh, to step in, but you know, talk about you know how you had been prepared for a triple H C survey, and then they suddenly showed up. How did your staff react? You know, was it was everything ideal? You know, or was it almost like a panic? Um, not everything was ideal. Immediately. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you were ready for a survey. I mean, so you had a. No, I'm not ready for survey. Yeah. Are staff ever really ready? Um, you know, they push you to the limit there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do it on Monday and Tuesday when the survey is here. Yeah. So when the message ripples through that DOH is here. Yeah. This is not a drill. Um, <laughs> not a yeah, drill. That went out. Um, DOH is here. This is not a drill. Uh, <laughs> they did. Um, so DOH brought me in the room. They told me why they were there. And they said, take five minutes to call whoever you need to. Yeah. And you and Judy were Judy the first, first people I called. <laughs> and of course, I was in California. So um, I, I was a little bit of a way away. So I and it takes me a minute to get yes. there. You know, yeah. you but to you get on a plane and get to Long Island and get to you just as they were leaving. To the Which point was. that you were saying was that you were on a plane in a minute, you got to me a few hours later, but when you got there, I didn't just have you. I had the whole team, yeah. and I knew that. I had, you know, six people, 12 people, you know, answering the questions and helping me through yeah. this. And as brutal as it was, having six people there for three full days, um, it was because the team was there, and we... Which you feel that yeah. it, no, it really, you know, helped. Here's your dollar. So, <laughs> 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 you get twelve of them today. <laughs> well, and, and you know, the, I think what I was also trying to get at is when it happens, nothing else should matter. You know, no. I mean, it's like it's not like you lament the fact that you know some things were not perfect. Correct. You just you you gather your wits. You There's you nothing to do. Go with what what it what was. Flow is and recognize and, and 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 as we said to you well before any of this occurred is that you've been around for a long time. You have excellent oh, outcomes. You have an excellent center. Yeah, we're center. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was a com that was started out as a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. This word. As Sue says, I stuck my foot in my mouth again. Yeah. Not with that job. Where you might be wearing your chest. There it goes back. Uh, but so, it, but truth in my wheelchair. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's good at that. And I, uh, I, I can see us cutting an awful lot out of this interview. Uh, but but, uh, but the point being is that of course you you lean into it, you you go through it, and that the likelihood of even a survey like that actually shutting you down or you failing the survey is is small. And and whatever, as we told you at the time, is that. You know, we walked through, we know your center well. We never found anything that, you know, was so bad 
that it would be, that's right, Lori's got the loser thing. No, that's not what we had. Um, and, and of course, uh, you know, so that's what you have to remember as you're going through it is that surveyors are there to find a problem. Six surveyors and, you know, there's no way six surveyors are going to go back to the office and say, yeah, there was really nothing I could find the entire time. They're going to lose their jobs. But they almost did. Yeah, that's right. They really almost did. did. Yeah. They, really they, they found things at the last minute. Yeah. Yeah. Kudos to you. That's right. Yeah, kudos that's to you. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and I and I don't think it was just because we were prepared for AAA. Yeah. Um, I believe in my center, yeah. and I believe that we run a good center, and right. I believe that we practice well. Do we do everything perfect all the time? No. Yeah. But for the most part, uh, you know, just from as you say, the outcomes. Yeah. Um, we have a super low infection rate. We have high patient satisfaction. We provide quality care. Yeah. And um, you can't fake that on the day of AAA. Right. Um, it has to be natural and it has to be what how you practice all the time. So <laughs> I think one thing that I try to say to our clients and that we say to our employees all the time is that the challenge with the regulatory environment, accreditation environment, is that there's going to be situations where there's not going to have a straight answer. Or you're going to have two regulations that conflict with each other. And what I've always said is that you do what is right. Now, Ellen, you are a nurse, you know, by background that comes natural to you. Um, it comes natural to us here. But if, if there's one lesson that needs to get out is that when in doubt, do what's right. And then worry about the consequences later. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that comes down to, you know, the, the, uh, this hasn't happened, but imagine a scenario where we talk about never grant people emergency privileges. There's no such thing. You should not be doing emergency procedures in a surgery center and, and granting somebody this. If somebody ends up in a difficult situation in the middle of a surgery and you happen to have another doctor in the same building two minutes away and he can come over and help, but he doesn't have privileges, you bring the doctor over to help and you, and you just do the right thing and you worry about the fact that he doesn't have credentials later, right. and and if you know, and the right thing is always what's best for the that's patient. right because Not then you can always the justify it. It's what's best for the patient. Isn't there a yeah. saying yeah. about better to ask for forgiveness? Yeah, that's exactly right. That yeah. is permission. Yeah. Correct. Yes, I lived by that for a long time. <laughs> Jim, I'm going to pick on you next since you just walked in the room, and I just love picking on people at the last minute. Um, so uh, Jim Masters, he's uh, our uh, life safety. Uh, one of our life safety experts, we, we have quite a number of them on our staff, and uh, li uh, I'm sorry, I was promised not to say experts, didn't I? Uh, Jim is um, uh, is a surveyor with one of the major accreditation organizations. Jim, you and I and uh, friend Anton Mitchell just did a session on what are the common things going on in the life safety field right now. Uh, it was interesting talking to Anton. It's always great to, to have him in person. Uh, talk a little bit about your observations from that, because we walked into it not knowing what the questions were going to be. What did you uh, What did you find interesting? Uh, well, I think that John, um, the president of the organization, had some good ideas of what we should talk about, and he just kind of threw us, you know, a little tidbit of information. Hey, we had talked about the HVAC system, and and we just kind of took the ball and ran and talk about all the various components of the system and how it affects not only infection control, but um, the, the, the center itself. And we talked about if the building owner owns the HVAC system and the center is just part of that, that their challenges to get the owner of the building to support them. Right. And uh, then, then we went into the EES systems and the components and the differences between the type of sedation you use and the type of EES that you have to have. So um, it was actually quite interesting and the time flew. It did, yeah. And, and we really didn't need any guidance. It right. Was, you know, we all shared our, our little bit of expertise in that area and, and it came out, I guess it came out well. It did, yeah. It, it was it, a great it, session yeah. and there were people standing in the back. Yep. Yes. Well, and, and the comment that, that needs to be made and what I made on the podium too is, which we always have to remember, just because you've been in existence for 20 years and have never had something cited doesn't mean it's not going to be cited now. We've seen that. It was brought up during the conference, you know, during the sessions there. Um, and I don't, well, I guess I do mean to scare people because it's important 
that you know people be on top of this and be prepared for that type of a problem. And, and again, the caliber of surveyors yes. and the level of their education and expertise is increasing. Yeah. It's no longer the firemen who you know worked in the fire department for 30 years. You've got people who are life safety specialists for their entire career now deciding, I think I'm going to survey, and they've applied and been accepted. Yeah. And we've got hospital engineers that have 35, 40 years of experience. So the caliber of training and education for the surveyors is that much higher. higher. The bar has been raised. Absolutely. And I think, uh, I think the channel... And by, by the way, this is Michael D'Ambrosio. He's also on our life safety team, and in addition, a couple other teams. But go ahead, Mike. Well, I think the challenge is the center's getting up to speed on those things. What, what I find is there just isn't a lot of knowledge yeah. out there. Uh, and, and it's important that the administrators get up to speed or, or get the help they need because I, I see that as being you know, a real opportunity. I think centers have to really dig deep and come up with a way to hire someone who's going to be in that capacity of their life safety specialist at the center itself. And set up a set up a uh, a network so that that on-site person has has us for a resource to help them train and, and get their people up to up to staff because there's very few places unless they're affiliated with a healthcare network that have the ability to have that one person who's responsible yeah. to do all of these things. I think it falls through the cracks because people Sue, think Sue Cronkite, by the way, yes. co-hosts. Go ahead. Um, I think, you know, you think you need nurses, you need the doctors, you HR, you know, credentialing, all of those obvious things. But the building, you kind of, I think sometimes it just, you feel like it'll just take care of itself or, you know, if there's not obvious things like there's a huge hole in the wall or something. But they don't realize how really specialized it is. They need to invest. They have to make yeah. an investment. Investment in the idea that I need somebody I to do this. They take it for granted as well, especially if they're leasees and they're leasing space from a building management company or a, or an owner mm -hmm. operator. That oh well, we pay them. They do everything we need. They might do it, but it's not at the level that CMS requires. Right. Yeah. right. And it's it's critical that you have that internal support for you know support for the administrator, and then also the external support because again, you know, one person won't be able to know it all. I don't know it all in, in terms of life safety. So I'm fortunate enough at my center to actually have somebody that is um, he's not fully credentialed in life safety, but he has studied it and is learning it and um, on that pathway. And he does um, work at the center on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So he is a little bit more on top of, you know, the everyday stuff. And he's learning more in depth. Um, but he has his resources as well. So if I have a question, I do have somebody on site as an immediate resource. Mm -hmm. um, and when I do have my surveys, he is available to come in. Yeah. Um, and be with the life safety people and walk them through, take them up in the ceilings and do that because he's up in my ceilings all the time. Um, so he knows what's up there. He knows what he's doing. I don't think you're the majority. So I don't I think everybody is. Like Donna, I mean, Donna and I had a conversation today about how we have a center that we work on together that has a place, says they have this life safety guy, but he doesn't come in. He's not there. Yeah. Like ever, they go. Well, then that okay. Then that that's. I think the challenge. Yeah. The challenge sometimes is, and for me at my center, it was a challenge, um, especially early on, is to convince the owners how important it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you're a center exactly. that's been around for a while, ten or fifteen years ago, you could get away with the administrator climbing a ladder, popping out the tile, and looking for um, perforations in the smoke compartment. Right. Yeah. Well, you said it. The the education level of the surveyors <coughs> lay up. And they just don't cut it anymore. And I think you have to really get the owners to understand that it's really important to have somebody who is an expert in the field mm -hmm. because the administrator who's doing all of the other things that he or she needs to do is not going to be able to have all to check all of those boxes. It's just not possible. They're not going to have the knowledge. They're not going to have the knowledge of the time. Yeah. Yeah. This is a real problem. This is, right. this is real. This right. isn't, you know, but it is convincing the, the powers that be or whomever they're yeah, dealing with. But that's, that's the primary reason places get closed. Uh, Lori Rodericks, by the way, or infection. Yeah, right. It's, it's usually a life safety issue. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, yeah. and it's very expensive to life and safety concerns. So yeah. they will close you for that. Right. Mm -hmm. Way before your credentialing issues. Yeah, your credentialing files or right. your clinical yeah. people. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, since Lori started talking, Lori is our uh, director of clinical operations for inventory healthcare strategies and our life, or life, our infection <laughs> control life experts. So, so now that you now that you brought it up, uh, you know what are what are the things that are most urgent right now? Life safety is definitely one of those things that can shut them down. What is another one? Jim, what is another? <laughs> well, I'm sorry, go ahead, Jim. Yeah. With the life safety thing, sure. Is that I was at a, a accreditation um, gathering of the governance unit, and they actually identified that for early option surveys and initial surveys, that the number one stopper for not being accredited was a life safety issue. Yeah. Yeah. And that's our experience too. And they don't tend to be an easy fix either. Yeah. Right. No. no, you're and right. Very Easy or inexpensive. Well, and for those of you listeners out there that are developing new centers and have been working with an architect, and and uh, the architect has not um, referred to CMS regulations at any point. In other words, they've been talking about the local, you know, passing the local building codes and the state, you know, Department of Health codes. That's not enough. You got to be prepared for the CMS survey, which will be tougher than all of those other ones. To Jim's point, very good. Okay, back to you, Lori. What is another reason that a surgery center might get into a deep trouble? A lot of, a lot of infection control yeah. type situations. Especially with, post COVID. Yeah, especially with COVID and monkeypox and measles, mumps. But you know that's that's a big deal, as well as um, instrumentation. Yeah, mm-hmm. actually, good that's, point. To that's a really big you know people don't ever necessarily um, understand especially physicians and I'm not picking on them or governing board members but they don't appreciate what the um, staff in the sterile processing yeah. or the high level disinfection areas of the center um, need to do and keep them safe mm-hmm. so that's a lot of findings and yes I am the meanest one in the yeah. <laughs> they are actually the most important people in your center. Absolutely, right? They yeah. touch things that touch every single patient yeah. who comes through the door. Yeah. You know, no, that's a nice people. way to say it. You yeah. right. They, they really are. are. Yeah, they, they are. They are the heroes the that nobody yeah. knows. Mm-hmm. Are they? Yeah. Never thought about it that way, but yeah. you're so right. Absolutely, they are. Yeah. And people overlook them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. they're, they're back there working. They're not. You know, and they and but but truly, they are the most important people in your center. Along with your receptionist. <laughs> also, you know, also true. She, she's your first impression. Yeah, she's right. first impression. Everybody's Orty, important. Orty. Excuse me. You're right. I'm sorry. He or she. Okay. Uh, Jenna Alvarez, who is a uh, senior nurse consultant. She's our startup specialist. And Jenna, you've been a little bit busy lately, right? Talk a little bit about some of our experiences with startups and uh, some of the challenges we're running into. Had three new centers that we've been working on. We have one that's just gotten past their accreditation. Um, we've got one that's waiting to get their uh, accreditation, uh, uh, status survey. And we've got one that's still getting ready for their pre-opening survey in New York State. And we've got one that's just getting, we're getting their CON approval and then we'll be moving fast on that one. So it's been an exciting time, lots of growth. And um, but there's been never, problems, uh, you know. Never on the timeline that we think it's yeah. going to be. Uh, you know, our centers that opened, um, you know, they just got their accreditation. They thought they were going to open in December. You know, they finally had the pre-opening survey in April. And, you know, got their accreditation in September. By the time we got the approval, it's been September. Yep. So it's it's never usually said, you know, that you always run into random problem here or random problem there. Yeah, and the supply so, chain has been horrible. Supply chain. And don't change your name in the middle of it. <laughs> well, at least when you change your name, you file it properly. I will, I will say that has been an issue on all three projects. Yeah. You know, name changing? Name changing. Or I'm sure it been in there. It, I know it's really, really hard. But if you can figure out your name right in the beginning and stick with it. It looks like a Mary. <laughs> For, this is an audio podcast, but Lori was holding a baby. <laughs> yeah, there, it, it's surprisingly very important. <laughs> Um, so one of the challenges that we've had as we have grown 
has been that uh, technology, of course, the world outside is changing quickly. And we're realizing that we need a different technology solution, which would, uh, you know, do things like gather all of our statistics, gather our incident reporting, gather our nursing chart audits, chart audits, help, you know, maintain credential files, things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're finding ourselves, we have a good technology, you know, uh, system, um, but the world is changing around us. So now we are in the process of negotiating uh, uh, some type of a partnership, you know, uh, teaming up with, the, uh, with an organization that will help provide that technological solution because we're not going to develop in-house. Yeah. Uh, and Jenna, to that point, you, of course, have taken a bit of a lead on this, but I'm going to call on my consultants because Jenna, like, is the one that knows what we need, but we always have to rely on our consultants, the people that do the data entry, you know, Mary and Laura here, who, uh, who actually do that. So start with talking a little bit about, because you spent quite a bit of time talking to some of the, the providers that we're thinking. So a couple of my centers have already started moving towards different yeah. solutions. And a couple of them have either said, hey, we're interested in something, you know, moving to something like this. Or I say, you know, after I say, incident reports, oh, well, I gave to Dr. So-and-so to look at, mm. Dr. So-and-so lost it, yeah. kind of funny. Oh, boy. I was like, okay, maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe it's time to get rid of paper. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, maybe we won't lose things anymore, you know, or it was, because it was, it wasn't just the incident report, it was, okay, what about your in-services you did this quarter? Right. Well, the finders, you know. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which, you know, people are, People are busy, you yeah. know, and I, I get it. There's so much going on, and you don't have enough people. Um, and so, like, let's make our lives easier. Yeah. And it makes my life easier because instead of sending, you know, hey, can you send me your startups? Hey, can you send me your incident reports? Hey, can you send me your patient satisfaction data? I have access to all of their data right through the platform, mm -hmm. you know, the platforms that right. we're using. And it's been nice, we've been talking to some of the vendors here about, you know, some of them are growing. And I said, well, I've got some ideas. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, because it's so important, and again, uh, you know, I'm look at Laura and, and Mary here who, who gather all this data. And, and I'm telling these vendors, okay, Jenna and I can talk until we're blue in the face, and Alex, you know. But to be honest with you, this has got to be user-friendly. Right. Right. right, and it's got to be something that, and, and again, I have both Mary and Laura speak. It's got to be something that you can work with, and of course, you got to train. You're the ones that are going to be working directly with the staff that's going to be entering on the other side. So I know you've had some talks. I haven't talked to you about that. Any any observations from well, that Alex conversation? Well, Center actually uses one of the solutions. One of those. No, one of those. Yeah. And for me, because I always Ellen, I need Ellen, I need. Yeah. Now I just go we, in. We never even talk anymore. We don't even talk anymore. I don't have any conversation with it, but it was, it's so much easier and time saving. Yeah. No more emails back and no forth. More no more emails back and forth. Now I can just say, hey, Ellen, how you doing? Yeah. Not, okay. or, or you can talk about what was entered information. Right. right. You can get to, and that's the point that I really want to get to is that. These solutions provide the data. You still got to analyze it. It's not like right. it's solid. It's not problem. like it's done. Right. I mean, you still have to read it and make you know and do something with it. But it's such an easier. You know, and I'm old and I'm paper. You know, I grew up with paper and I don't want to get rid of paper. But I like. Yeah. So that you know, once you adjust to it, yeah. it's just so much more convenient and it's a time saver. Yeah. And like the platform that I use, you could get either the detailed report of every comment I entered during my chart audits or every comment during the, in the incident reports, or you get a summary report. Yeah. And you get a summary of the compliance. So um, I use it for all my logs. I got rid of all my papers. So I use yeah. it for my refrigerator logs, my glucose logs, my temperature and humidity logs. And it will tell you, okay, you... You really were supposed to complete 30 logs, but you only completed 26 of them. Yeah. And of the 26 you completed, 90% um, of them were compliant. So yeah. it just gets, spits it out at you. Um, so, and my staff has gotten used to it. 
Um, my staff now are doing the incident reports instead of coming to me and saying, this is what happened, yeah. and I'd be handwriting out an incident report. They're entering the information, and when they enter it, I get an email so I can open it, uh, read through it, and then I do the quality part of it. Um, so I go in then and review it and decide where the, do we need um, standard of care? Does it, were there any trends noted? Yeah. Does a peer review need to occur? And um, you know, complete it that way. So the communication on it and the ease and the staff gave a little resistance in the beginning, but now like code cards, like they do it, you yeah. know, and and the the platform we use, they used our forms. Yeah. Um, so we didn't even use their templates. We sent them all of our forms, so nothing had changed, and um, so it made an ease of transition. My favorite part of it is um, the doctor peer review. So I don't have to sit with the doctors anymore. I go in and I assign 10 charts to, and then the luxury of his home, his office, wherever he wants to do it, yeah. he can do his peer review, you know, and I just assign and I don't have to see them anymore or sit with them and walk them through. <laughs> wow. Okay, now like this. Not that she didn't enjoy that. their company, but I'm sure she did. Uh, and that's, yeah. a made of, that's a made up doctor's name. So, <laughs> no, I mean, that's yeah. a made up it's such a time saver it is. Yeah. It and is. for a doctor or for a nurse it's, it's for everybody it's fantastic yeah. do, so. do you find it more accurate with the uh, I find it more able to read yeah, yeah. <laughs> more able to read that's what I do so so watch for that we'll be making a decision I'm excited about that I'm very excited yeah I'm talking to a new one today too that you know Technology is really uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. How the, the logs today, there's a QR code on the machine you just put on on yeah. the refrigerator and you scan it and then you can enter it right from your phone. It's you yeah, know it genius. Yeah. But it, you know, simple, but yeah. Oh thank God I'm not in the clinical area anymore. We will convert you yet. We will so you think. I did want to uh, finish quickly. One of the things that occurs when an organization grows as rapidly as we have, and we have doubled over the last 18 months, um, is that uh, we find ourselves, unlike some organizations that are top-heavy from the beginning, we're, we're, we're definitely not top-heavy. So uh, we are in the process of transitioning. <laughs> we're, we're transitioning Sue, who is going to be uh, kind of moving a little bit more into administration, taking less of a role directly with clients. So. Uh, uh, she is. Uh, you should see the smile on her face right now uh, until she sees all of the work that's involved in administration. But I do want to thank Sue. Uh, you've already been, uh, you know, instrumental in really helping out here. What's been, and uh, you know, what what are the challenges you see ahead of administrating this group of? They're very unruly group here. <laughs> They're trying to corral them all. Um, you know, just learning all the. I, I'm not real technical um so i know some of the things are, are going to you know, yeah. be more computer based and, and trying to figure out the spreadsheets or things like that so i think just you know it'll be a learning curve but yeah. I, am, I am excited about it well and and so our you know for those of you that are clients out there to understand we recognize some of the challenges that we've had with our growth and you know the fact that you are like sent multiple copies of bills over and over again. We apologize about that. We're working on solving that problem now. I'm, I'm looking at Ella, she's but I paid this seven weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, I know, sorry about that. Well, thank you all. I, I, we, we are uh, late for dinner already here, but I do want to thank all of you for, for taking the time. So, You're gonna feed us? Yes, I'm gonna feed you now, so. Oh, thanks. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. In this segment, we provide an update on upcoming topics for the podcast, our upcoming virtual conferences, and upcoming speaking arrangements for John and his staff and other events in the ASC industry. 
And Sue, I'm going to be heading up to the uh, 2022 Northeast ASC Conference, which is presented by the Massachusetts Association of Ambulatory Surgery Centers. It's going to be on Friday, October 21st, 2022 at the Massachusetts Medical Society Conference Center in Waltham, Massachusetts. Wonderful center. I've been there a number of times. Mm -hmm. And both Lori and I are going to be there. Uh, Lori and I will be speaking. I'll be speaking about accounts receivable. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what Lori's talking about, but you can pretty much bet it's going to be about uh, infection Infection. control. And the ASC Director of Nursing Boot Camp for Nursing Leaders in the Ambulatory Surgery Setting is coming up. Like all of our industry-leading boot camps, the Director of Nursing Boot Camp includes reading materials, virtual mentoring consultations, and an intensive four-day virtual conference that will be presented October 25th to the 28th, 2022. Which is next week yes, uh, from is. when we're recording. Tuesday to Friday, right? And the Washington Ambulatory Surgery Center Association's 2022 Annual Education Conference and Trade Show will be held November 2nd through 3rd, 2022 in the Tulalip Resort and Spa in Tulalip, Washington. I love saying that, Tulalip. <laughs> and I'll be doing a session there, uh, and we'll also be recording a special episode while we're there. Okay, so when Rosie eventually has more puppies, do we call one Tulalip? I, that might, could be it. That would be so a cute? cute name, yes. It would. <laughs> uh, the Pennsylvania Annual Meeting and Educational Conference is November 7th, 2022 at the Hershey Lodge in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And moving on to 2023, we can't forget that the ASC Administrators Boot Camp for Administrators and Ambulatory Surgery Centers and those looking to become CAS certified is going to be January 24th to 27th, 2023. And just like all of our boot camps, it's uh, presented virtually and includes mentoring too, including uh, weekly drop-in sessions, optional drop-in sessions, as well as books and uh, all kinds of mentoring opportunities. And the ASCA 2023 Winter Seminar is January 12th through the 14th at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I'll be there presenting, I think, a finance, uh, a series of finance classes. Mm -hmm. And the AORN Global Surgical Conference and Expo 2023 is April 1st through the 4th at the Henry B. Gonzalez Convention Center in beautiful San Antonio, Texas. Mm -hmm. And last is ASCA's 2023 Conference and Expo May 17th through the 20th, 2023, at the Kentucky International Convention Center in Louisville, Kentucky. And we haven't been to uh, Louisville for a while. It was there for one of the uh, the winter seminars, mm -hmm. or one of the finance seminars. I can't remember exactly which it was, but it was a beautiful location. So we're looking uh, very much looking forward to that in May. And also, don't forget about our recorded events. They're all available on ASCPodcast.com. We have a credentialing conference, a finance and accounting conference, conditions for coverage conference, medical director conference, and, of course, our self-paced versions of our uh, director of nursing and administrators boot camp. So all of these are our in-depth conferences that uh, really help prepare surgery center leaders for all, all facets of uh, their operations. And, you know, Sue, we've had a big increase in the number of patron members within the last couple months. And I think that's because people are really enjoying uh, the various benefits that come from being a patron member. And probably the, the biggest benefit that the people find is that Saturday drop-in session, which mm -hmm. uh, uh, Saturday mornings at 10 a.m., we have a private uh, for, uh, you know, for all the patron members. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of fun on those sessions. We got to get a lot of great ideas. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the patron program, which is also known as ASC Central, is an exclusive membership website that provides a one-stop ASC regulatory and accreditation compliance operations and financial management resource for busy administrators, nurse managers, and business office managers. And uh, these patron members also have access to some of our virtual conferences, pre-recorded virtual conferences, including the, the credentialing conference and the conditions for coverage conference, uh, various example policies and procedures and forms. Uh, example minutes uh, and discounts and services and books and access to AEU credits. Membership helps defray the cost of producing the podcast, including research, staff, travel costs to conferences, equipment costs, including all this new equipment that we're purchasing, mm -hmm. and the various production costs. For more information, you may visit ASCPodcast.com. So that's it for this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. And please spread the word about our podcast with your friends and colleagues and do us the honor of hitting that subscribe button. The sound editor for this episode is Susan Cronkite. Executive producer is John Gailey. Research assistance is provided by Susan Cronkite, Jenna Alvarez, Judy D'Ambrosio, Alex Borneman, Zach Kelritis, Amy Durbano, Lori Rodericks, Ann Geyer, and Donna Macchio. Music is provided by Media Sushi and Mike Noah. And the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is hosted on Podbean and is available on all major podcast channels.
This episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is sponsored by Surgical Information Systems, Trivalence, and Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Surgical Information Systems provides cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable insights. Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies is the nation's leading regulatory and accreditation compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute, legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. If you are interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.